Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life. For those of you who are new today, we welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus. And as we get ready to hear from his word, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are and that you are worthy of our worship and praise and that you alone are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to show us the life that is truly life. And God, we thank you for your spirit who lives in us, who know you as our Savior and Lord. And we ask today that by that spirit, you would open our hearts, that we would receive your message and that we would be better equipped to worship you, the one true God and King of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once when I was 18 years of age, I had a very difficult decision to make. And I was on the church board at the time because I was the Sunday school superintendent. So I got one of the five votes, which was going to elect the new pastor who was supposed to be coming to the church. And the reason it was a difficult decision was I knew the vote was going to be four to one. I knew that everybody else was going to vote for the guy. And I was going to vote against him. And since I was the only one on the board younger than 50, I knew that it would be seen as the immaturity of youth, which was going to be the reason for my vote. Actually, the reason for my vote was I had heard the man preach, as had everybody. One time he came on a Sunday morning and, you know, and we listened to him. And after that, we were supposed to vote on whether he could be our pastor or not. And uh, the guy started off great. In fact, what he said was, the very first thing he said was, I want everybody here to know that, that if you're a Christian, you're different. And I went, yeah. I mean, inside I was going, yes, that's right. Christians are different, you know. And, and I thought maybe what he was talking about was we're different because we follow the one true and living God. I thought maybe he meant we were different because we're born again, you know, not just physically but spiritually. I thought maybe he meant we're different because Jesus told us that we're supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that we need would be added. And I was, I was ready to hear, what, what it was, why are we different? And here's what he said. Christians are different. If you smoke, drink, or swear, you're not a Christian. And if you do any of those things and you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell. Now, I agreed with his conclusion that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to hell. But I was very disappointed. In fact, I was vehemently in disagreement with what he said about what it meant to be a Christian. He said, if you smoke, drink, or swear, you're not a Christian. Well, I don't smoke or drink, and I only swear a couple times a year these days. But, but. You know, I know that that isn't what determines if I'm a Christian or not. And if you are here and you do smoke, drink, or swear, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. He didn't address any of the biblical reasons that distinguish us. And even 40 years ago, you know, Christians were different than the average person. Even 40 years ago, when I was 18, I knew that what really distinguishes us is that we're swimming upstream against the culture because we worship the one true God. And so I knew I was going to vote no, and I did vote no, and, I, and the vote was four to one. And, and so I was left with a dilemma because I couldn't support this pastor. I knew he was going to lead us down a road of legalism. I knew he was going to lead us away from the love and grace of Jesus. I knew that he wasn't going to emphasize how the Holy Spirit comes in and changes our hearts so that actually we might change our behavior. But, but we don't get to be Christians because we changed our behavior. We get to be Christians because God changed our hearts. And Jesus said that over and over again. So I, I, I believe, have always believed, even since I was a boy, 
that a Christian who goes to a certain church ought to follow the leadership of that church, except when the leadership is making a decision that goes against the will of Jesus. And so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't support it. So at the time, I was dating Nancy Fairman, who many of you know is Nancy Marshall, my wife now. But, you know, she went to a different church. And so I just said, well, I'll, I'll try out her church. And I went there and I found out that they uh, were not preaching legalism, that they were preaching the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And so I felt comfortable there and I started worshiping there. And after a while, a few of the people from my little church in Gypsy, only about 40 people anyway, they, they missed me. They were upset with me because I left. And then when it turned out that I was right, and, and the, the pastor did start to go that down a certain direction, and a few people started to, to leave, they came to me and said, how about if we go back and fight? And I said, no. I, 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 that's not what my, my goal is not to fight. My goal is to follow Jesus and help lost people come to know him. I mean, that was true of me when I was 18, just as true as, as it is today. And so that was the end of that for me. I went to a different church, and we served Jesus, and we didn't fight about legalism. Now, why did I tell you that story on Palm Sunday? Two reasons. Number one is you might have been there or you might be there. You might be in a situation where the majority is voting on something and they're wrong. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's not at church. Maybe it's at work or maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in your family. And I'm not talking about stuff that doesn't matter like, you know, this afternoon your family goes, let's go out to eat tonight and, and everybody except for you wants to go to a McDonald's and you want to go to Wendy's. I'm not talking about that kind of vote. I'm not talking about, you know, when you go to work and they say, we're going to put in new carpet in the lobby and everybody wants to put in green carpet and you want red. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is when the majority wants to do something that you know is going to lead down a path away from Jesus. And what do you do then? And so I tell you the story for that reason, maybe to give you some courage to stand up and do the right thing, but also because on the first Palm Sunday, what was not even called Palm Sunday then, but which we call Palm Sunday now, there was a very important vote being taken. It wasn't an official vote, but it was, a, it was actually one of the most important votes in the history of the world because people were going to vote that day on what they were going to do with Jesus. You see, Jesus had become quite popular in Israel since three years before when he had been baptized in the Jordan River by a self-proclaimed prophet named John. They called him John the Baptist. And, and since the, John had said that this Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, since that time, people had started to believe that maybe Jesus was the Messiah. The Israelites had been waiting for a deliverer. They called the Messiah, God's anointed one, who would come and release the people from their bondage to the Romans and reestablish Israel as the main force on the planet. And the people of Israel were divided. Because you see, when John voted for you, that didn't necessarily mean a whole lot because the religious leaders thought John was at best an extremist, at worst, crazy. And the religious leaders had decided already that they didn't want Jesus to be around. In fact, they wanted rid of Jesus. But the crowds, they were, they were thinking Jesus might be the Messiah because when they watched Jesus, first of all, when they listened to Jesus, he taught with an authority that was unparalleled, unprecedented, actually before or after. And he was able to cast demons out of people. He was able to heal sick people and even, in a couple of cases, to raise people from the dead. So the crowds were starting to wonder, who is this Jesus? Is he really the Messiah? And so this division was taking place and a vote was going to happen that day. The people didn't know it, but there was going to be a vote that day. And the reason there was going to be a vote was because Jesus actually pressed for it. Um, not in so many words, but by his action 
And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21. Before we do that, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you the take-home point. And for those of you who are new, we have one point we seek to make every week. And here is the point. Sometimes the majority is right. Sometimes the majority is right. Now, we live in a culture that says the majority is always right. The majority isn't always right, as we know. I mean, if you've lived as long as I have, you know that sometimes we vote for the wrong people. And sometimes once we vote, once we vote for the wrong people, they vote in the wrong rules. The majority isn't always right in our culture, but the majority is always the majority, and they get their way. And, and, and while we're on that subject, you know, we live in a representative democracy or republic, and, um, and Winston Churchill once said, that democracy is the worst form of government there is, except for all the rest. When, when human beings are gathering in a nation, democracy is a good thing. But when human beings are choosing who to serve as God, democracy isn't a good thing. But what we're going to see is Jesus was going to press this issue of the vote of who he was. And here's what happened. If you uh, have your Bible and you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, it says this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there which, with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. So Jesus was entering Jerusalem for what he knew was going to be his last time. I mean, he was going to come in and out of Jerusalem all week, but he knew at the end of the week they were going to kill him. And, and even, so he, even though he knew that, which he knew that because he had come to die to take away the sins of the world, even though he knew that, he faced it. He, he didn't run away. He didn't say to the guys, hey, if we go to Jerusalem for Passover this year, I'm going to die, so let's just stay home this year in Capernaum. No, he didn't do that. He went purposely to Jerusalem. And then he, he did something that seems odd if you don't know Jewish history. He told his, two of his guys to go into town and get a donkey and bring it back. Now, what's the significance of that? Actually, Matthew tells us in the next verse, he says, This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. In the tradition of Israel, when the king was going to war, he rode on a stallion, a horse, but whenever he was proclaiming peace, he rode on a donkey. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm the king, not just a king, but the king of Israel, and I come to proclaim peace. In fact, Jesus was going to die to bring peace to all of us through his death and resurrection. But the disciples didn't know any of that at the moment. All they knew is that two of them were supposed to get a donkey, and they listened to what Jesus said, and here's what happened. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to, to him, and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. So the disciples did what Jesus said. They put their garments on Jesus, and he started riding into Jerusalem. And he is saying, as he's riding in, not verbally, but silently, I'm the king, I come in peace. So it says, most of the crowd, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So most of the crowd believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the king, the son of David, that he was coming probably as the Messiah. And we don't know what most of the crowd means. It was a majority, right? Could have been 51% of the crowd, could have been 95% of the crowd. We're not exactly sure. All we know for sure is in that moment, for the very first and what would turn out to be the last time, Jesus was proclaimed by the crowd, by the majority, to be who he really is, the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. So what happens next? Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. So here we see for sure the people got it. They understood who Jesus was, and they were shouting, Hosanna! Now, in the New Living Translation, it says, Praise God. That's the translation of the word Hosanna, which literally means, Save now. So the crowd, by shouting Hosanna, was saying, We believe he's our Savior. By saying, blessed is the son of David, they were saying, he's in the descendant of the greatest king of Israel, David. By saying, praise God for sending him, they were saying that we believe that he is the agent of God to do what we know needs to be done, and that is to get rid of the Romans. So the majority had voted that Jesus was the savior, the king, the deliverer, and and if you were in that majority, it must have felt pretty good in that moment. But not everybody thought that way. It says this, The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So, some of the people didn't know who Jesus was. Most of the people were voting for Jesus. But some of the people had yet to cast their vote. And what we don't know from reading Matthew's gospel is that the the, the small minority known as the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they were against Jesus, big time against Jesus. In fact, they had already decided that they needed to kill Jesus. They wanted Jesus out because they thought that if Jesus continued to influence the crowds the way that he was, that the, the Israelites would rebel against the Romans and the Romans would certainly crush their nation. In fact, the chief priest had said, it's better for one man to die than for the entire nation to be destroyed. And he didn't realize it, but he was prophesying what was going to happen, that Jesus would die, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people everywhere, so that, there, that our sins could be taken away. At the moment, though, Jesus was very much alive, and some of the religious leaders came up to Jesus. It isn't in Matthew. It's in one of the other Gospels. And and they came up and they said this, Teacher, do you hear what they're saying? You need to tell them to shut up. They're they're proclaiming you king. They're saying saying you're the Savior. You You have to stop them. And what Jesus said was, if they stop, the stones will cry out. In other words, nature is going to proclaim me king if the people don't. And so this division is now very, very strongly set. The majority voted for Jesus, and the small group voted against Jesus, and it was Sunday. And what we know is that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the crowd was still voting for Jesus. Because what happened is Jesus would come into Jerusalem, go into the temple, and he would start teaching. The religious leaders would come with a test. They, they thought they knew the Bible better than everybody, what we would call the Old Testament. And so they kept coming and asking Jesus questions. And what they were trying to do was prove to the crowds that they were wrong about Jesus, that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that he was an imposter, that he was a fake, and that they needed to get rid of him. But every test, <laughs> Jesus proved that he was smarter than the smartest people in Israel. Every test, Jesus showed that he really probably was who the crowds thought he was, the Messiah. Nevertheless... The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, wouldn't give up. And so Thursday night, late Thursday night, there was no crowd around. And Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own. He he had been uh, arrested and he had been abandoned by all the rest of his disciples. He was alone. It was just Jesus against the Sanhedrin. And the next morning, they took Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman governor over the city of Jerusalem. And Pilate saw what was going on. Pilate saw that the religious leaders were jealous Because the crowds loved Jesus. 
And so Pilate had been told by his wife not to do anything bad to Jesus because Jesus truly was a righteous man. So Pilate's in a tough situation because the religious leaders want Pilate to kill Jesus. And the crowds were for Jesus. And his wife, probably the most important vote in Pilate's household, said, leave this guy alone. So Jesus is standing there next to Pilate. And Pilate always released somebody on, on the Passover as a sign of the goodwill of Rome. So what, what Pilate did was a brilliant move. Pilate brings out Barabbas, who was a known murderer. And so he's going to release Barabbas or Jesus. And the crowd gets to decide. Now remember, the crowd had said, what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday. It's Friday, five days later. And so as Pilate stands there, he looks out at the crowd. He goes, okay, look, here's Barabbas. You know he's a murderer. So do I release him or do I release Jesus? And the crowd goes, give us Barabbas. Pilate's shocked. He goes, I I don't think you heard what I just said. I said, do you want me to release Barabbas, the murderer, or Jesus, the righteous man? And they said, give us Barabbas. Pilate says, well, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd shouts, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? What happened was the majority who had been right on Sunday was convinced by a minority, the religious leaders, to vote against Jesus. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so in Matthew 27, verse 20. It says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. And we don't know how, we don't know how the religious leaders manage that. But here's what we know about majorities. Majorities are fickle. And majorities most often vote in their self-interest. And somehow the religious leaders convinced the crowd that it was in their self-interest to have Jesus killed and a murderer released. Somehow the religious leaders convinced the majority that they had been wrong about Jesus, even though there was not a shred of evidence that they were wrong. We don't know what they promised, but what they had to have promised was a better life. That's what the world always promises. The world always promises us a better life. Better than what? Well, better than what Jesus is offering. What had Jesus been offering the people? He had offered them a a truth. That the devil, the thief he called him, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And then he said, I come that you may have life in all of its abundance. So Jesus had promised abundant life. What did that mean? Abundant life, according to Jesus, first of all, meant that you would worship the one true and living God. Not All the pursuits that we saw in that video, not beauty, not fame, not fortune, not the, you know, the the bigger house, not the smaller phone. Well, I guess it's bigger phones now, isn't it? I I never keep up with that. But anyway, whatever, whatever it is that the world was promising, Jesus said it's not any of that. What it is is to know the peace of God that passes all human understanding. What it is is to know that you are living a righteous life. That means a right relationship with God, doing the right thing. Because of your love for God, and that at the end of your life, you will be with me forever. That's what Jesus promised. But you know, in any era of history, it's not hard to get the majority to vote for you if you promise something that seems better for the moment. Think about this. If you have a country that's poverty-stricken, and a, a person comes along who wants to be the leader, all that person has to promise is food. I will provide food for y'all. If you vote for me. And so we vote for that person because we need food if we're poverty stricken. Or, or what about a morally bankrupt society? If you want to be the leader in a morally bankrupt society, all you have to do is say, I'll provide more lenient laws. You won't have to do anything you don't want to do. And people will vote for you. So somehow the Pharisees convinced the crowd 
that was in their best interest to let Jesus die. I think it was probably that thing about you better let him die than let the whole nation be crushed by Rome. I don't know. I wasn't there. But here's what I do know is most of us say, well, you know, if I'd been there, I would have stood up for Jesus. Really? Nobody did. Nobody stood up for Jesus. Even the people that were on Jesus' side didn't stand up and say, hey, 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 no, 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 we want Jesus. Let's, 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 let's let Barabbas be crucified. Not one person said that in the whole crowd. We would like to think that if we had been there, it would have been different. But would it really? Would we have voted for Jesus? And that's really the question. Do we vote for Jesus? When the majority in our day is voting against Jesus, do we vote for him? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never voted for Jesus. Maybe in your entire life you've just gone along with the majority, whatever the majority said. Maybe in your entire life you've just gone along with what you thought was best, no matter what other people said. But you never really thought about this, that if there is a God and he has a son named Jesus, that that's who I should vote for. So right now, if you've never voted for Jesus ever, I'm going to urge you to do that because it's the most important vote of your life. And the reason I know it's the most important vote of your life is because the majority was wrong that Friday. We know it because we live on the resurrection side of history. We know that on that Friday when everybody voted against Jesus, they did crucify him. Pilate had him beaten and then they had him crucified and he died and they put him in a tomb. But on Sunday morning, Jesus came back to life. You know what that means? Jesus is the majority. Think about it. Jesus is the majority. A long time ago, a man named Martin Luther, guy credited with starting the Protestant Reformation, said, Jesus and one person is a majority. Well, he was right because Jesus is a majority. <laughs> Jesus is a majority all by himself. And when we add our vote to Jesus, we become the majority. Because when we do what Jesus says to do, even if the whole world says no, we're right. When we do what Jesus says to do, even if the whole world says we're going to do something else, we're right. And, and so what happens right now if you say, yes, Jesus, come in and take over my life? You're saying, Jesus, you're the king. Jesus, you're the, the Lord, which means owner. Jesus, you're the savior. You saved me from sin and death. And I understand that my life has been pursuing what the world said was good, what, what I thought was good, but not what is good. And that's the thing. Whatever the world says doesn't really matter if it's not in accordance with the will of Jesus. Because what Jesus said is true. And the interesting thing about Jesus is he never said if you smoke, drink, or swear, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, you can't find that in the Bible. He does talk about righteous living. He does talk about putting our lives into his hands. He does talk about being born again. He does talk about walking a narrow road that leads to life. He talks about a lot of things that the world isn't talking much about these days. And so the question becomes, have you ever voted for Jesus? If you never did, today would be the best day. <laughs> you could do that because then you get the rest of this life, you get to live with him on his side. Now, what about us? What about th those of us who have voted for Jesus? What about those of us who have said at one point in our lives, yes, Jesus, I know you're the king. Yes, Jesus, I know you're in charge. Yes, Jesus, I know that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to Father except for you. If we've said that, then here's our commitment today. This is, uh, again, if you're new, we have a commitment every week, and here it is this week. I will follow Jesus whether the crowd does or not. I will follow Jesus whether the crowd does or not. Now, that could be a lonely commitment. Could be a very lonely commitment, because you could go to school tomorrow, and everybody's walking down one way, and Jesus is walking the other way, and you're going to walk the other way. 
You could go to work tomorrow, and everybody at work is voting against Jesus, and you need to vote for Jesus. Because He is the majority, and you want to be on the side of the right majority. Sometimes the majority is right. But a lot of times the human majority is wrong because we vote in our own self-interest. So tomorrow, whether it's school or work or even your family, and that's the tough one when it's your family or your church. I mean, if we make some decision here at New Life that goes against the stated will and purpose of God, you can't go along with that. You see, at 18, I knew that. And, and, and you might be 10, and I want you to know that. You need to follow the will of Jesus, whether you're a school teacher or your school, whether your boss or your work, whether your parents or your children say something else, you have to follow Jesus. I have to follow Jesus. Because when the crowd said on the first Palm Sunday, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were right. When the crowd voted for Jesus that day, they were right. When we praise God, we are right. When we follow Him, even if nobody else does, we are right. And the thing about being right and on the side of Jesus is that it means two things. It means that we will have peace in our daily life and a a life that Jesus called an abundant life now. And it means that one day when this life is over and Jesus... We wake up and there's Jesus, which means we woke up dead, right? (laughs) Okay, so we wake up and there's Jesus. Jesus is going to have the final vote (laughs) in our lives. He's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master's kingdom. Or he's going to say what that preacher said so long ago. I don't know you. You're going to spend the rest of eternity in hell, separated from me. So, which vote matters? (laughs) Jesus' vote matters. He's already voted for us, and all that's left is for us to vote for him and then to live that out. Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday, Easter, and every day that comes after that, as long as we live, until we are greeted by Jesus with that long-awaited greeting. Well done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are the majority. You are the God of the universe, the one who created us, the one who sent Jesus to die for us, which means that we have a life that's truly life when we trust him as Savior and Lord. You're the one who lives in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And my prayer this morning is, anybody who prayed that prayer just a little bit ago and said, come in and I'm voting for you. I want you to be my Lord. I pray, God, for each one who did that today that they would know your presence and your power. And God, for all of us who have already done that, I pray for courage and boldness and humility that when we go out of here today and tomorrow and whatever, how many days you give us, that we will stand up for you. When the majority is right, that we'll go along with the majority. And when the majority is wrong, that even if we're the only vote that votes for you, that we'll do that. God, we thank you that Jesus stood alone for us that Jesus died alone for us, that he rose from the dead alone for us. And now we can join with millions and millions of people of all eras of history in heaven one day because of Jesus' vote for us. God, let us vote for him. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.